Hello, and welcome to the Technology Law Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Ward. This podcast is dedicated to the practice of drafting and negotiating technology transactions, cloud services deals, software development and licensing agreements, hardware transactions. I'm a technology lawyer with my own practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. I specialize in helping buyers and sellers of technology services and products execute their deals faster and more efficiently. I got my start as a technology lawyer with Reed Smith, where I was a member of the Venture Capital and Technology Practice Group. I'm a former Oracle and Google Cloud attorney, and you can learn more about me and my practice at www.jwardlaw.com, and you spell out the J-J-A-Y. On today's show, we're going to take a look at data processing addendums. I'm going to chat with Todd Slack, Senior Corporate Counsel for Data Protection at Splunk. Data processing addendums, or DPAs, have been a part of the portfolio of documents and policies needed to implement cloud services deals for several years now. Originally, you tended only to see them in large enterprise deals, say between a large financial institution and Microsoft. But now with more companies looking to comply with the GDPR and CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, even mid-tier and small cloud vendors need to think or actually implement DPAs in order to secure the business of larger enterprise customers. I hope you'll enjoy my discussion with Todd. Welcome back to the uh, Technology Law Podcast. I'm here with Todd Slack. And as mentioned in the show opening, today we're going to be talking about data processing addendums. And Todd, welcome to the program. Thank you for doing this today. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, Let's start with a bit about you. Uh, What's your title, role, and background? Um, I am uh, a senior counsel in data privacy and data protection with uh, Splunk. Um, my, uh, My role is to support our various business functions for data privacy and security concerns across the entire organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work with a, a small team that um, that touches, because d- data privacy touches on so many different elements of the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have to be very cross-functional. Right. Um, but again, data processing addendums and, and agreements are squarely within the area that, uh, that I work with. Um, my background, um, I, I jokingly say I, I'm, a, I'm a technologist uh, who happens to be a lawyer as his day job. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, before law school, I was a, uh, uh, a programmer. I have an undergraduate degree in computer science and accounting and did that for a few years, uh, decided to uh, uh, quit doing that and go to law school, moved uh, with my very young family to, uh, to New Orleans and went to law school back in the early 90s and uh, got out of the technology business, just went mm-hmm. to the classic law firm route, mm-hmm. uh, did litigation for a few years, decided uh, about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago that... Um, there's a lot of lawyers who were techies and who loved technology, but not a lot of real technologists uh, who were lawyers. And I felt that with computers becoming more pervasive in our society, uh, as well as business and, and evidence in, in legal matters becoming more and more natively digital, that a true technologist would have an advantage. And so I decided to go back and get a master's degree in, in computer science and in the digital forensic science area. and start getting all my technical certifications and, and going back to my roots, mm-hmm. which led me to uh, to what I did to doing today, working in the data protection, data privacy arena. 
And special training and your IAPP, is that right? Sure. Um, a lot of things, actually. Um, on the data privacy side, um, IAPP is the uh, generally globally known certification organization for data privacy. So I've got several of their um, um, several of their certifications, both the U.S. as well as the European Privacy uh, Privacy Management. I'm a fellow uh, with them in their their, their program. Um, I have uh, certifications on the technical side also. I'm mm -hmm. a, a CASSP, which is an information security uh, certification. Uh, mm -hmm. not, not one lawyers generally hold. There's, yeah. there's a few of us who have it, yeah. but uh, it's not usual. Um, but uh, you know, I try to uh, I try to split my education between the legal side and the technological side. Still, well, there's such a merging now. It's almost yeah. hard to be a technology lawyer without having really almost advanced knowledge of, of privacy regulation regulations and laws and, yeah. and security practices. It, it definitely helps having a solid understanding of of especially security. IT is important, but security for data privacy is is extremely important. So, you know, can you do it without that knowledge? Probably, um, but it certainly is a tremendous advantage to have that knowledge. Right, right. Well, let's get to the today's topic of data processing addendums. Sure. You, you know, before you said data processing agreements, I've seen them both, but more likely they are an addendum. And sure. My, my, my experience with them, both on the representing buyers and sellers, is it's usually a PDF that I get from a vendor. It establishes their practices, and they're not really – negotiable like an agreement might be might, might be negotiable. That, that's a great point. Yeah, usually they are an addendum because you're you're adding something to the overall master services agreement. Mm -hmm. You're adding specific terms. And, and you know, that gets back to the, the question of is, is what is a data processing addendum? Yeah. Um, and it's just a contractual document. It's a contract between a buyer and a seller that sets out how the, the seller and the buyer are going to comply with data privacy laws. Um, you know, there's there's data privacy laws all around the, the entire globe. You know, mm. the, the Europeans, EU's GDPR being this, the most prominent of all of them. But certain states are, are passing them more and more these days. California yeah. obviously was the first. Washington's followed suit. Nevada, some other states. Um, but there are, there are data privacy laws all over the entire world. Um, you know, in, in the Asia Pacific region, you're going to see some. Um, you're going to see some past, uh, uh, obviously, in Europe, in in um, other parts of Asia, uh, Canada has a, has a very strong act, and they're all very different. And so the parties have to come to an agreement on exactly how they're going to align with these different provisions. And the the, the point you brought up about it, it's a document that's usually PDF that's not negotiable, um, is, is a great point because, you know, data processing attendants usually have to be very tailored to the products that they pertain to. Mm -hmm. And like any other technology, and frequently we're talking about SaaS technologies. As a matter of fact, yeah. most of the time it's SaaS technologies. Um, they're very unique. You know, not everybody's a, a boilerplate cookie cut SaaS right. product. And, and that's just by the, the virtue of what SaaS products are. And so the compliance with these different privacy regimes sometimes is, is very, very tailored. And as such, it makes it really hard to negotiate these agreements, at least from the seller's perspective, because every point you try to negotiate takes you further and further out from what does your product actually do? Yeah. And how does that product actually comply with all these different laws? And so it makes it it makes it to a point where you almost can't negotiate these from a, a seller's perspective. It's not scalable. It's just not practical right. that you create unique terms for individual buyers when you're talking about a service or a platform that has to scale and serve thousands of customers. That's exactly right. Right. That's right. You're going to comply one way and you need to be transparent to your customers about how you do that compliance and, and what you offer and what you do. 
Um, but creating snowflakes and creating one-offs is, is not something you're right that can be scaled. Right, right. How does a DPA uh, differ from a privacy policy and from a data security addendum? Sure. Um, all three work hand in hand. Um, they're all very relevant to each other. So the, the DPA, as we said, was the agreement between the buyer and the seller about how they're going to comply with these data privacy laws globally. Um, the one of the requirements under most data privacy laws is that you've got to have information security controls. Most laws don't get into the specifics about, well, you have to have encryption versus you have to do this. They just, uh, for the most part, say you need to have adequate technical and organizational measures, security protocols, to protect the information that you're processing. And so the information security addendum is that very specific and, and granular listing of those controls that the parties are going to utilize in the software. And, mm -hmm. and it's 99 times out of 100 put out by the seller because, of course, it's the seller's product. The seller knows what security controls they have right. in place. Right. And it, it's, a, it's a listing. Again, it's a contractual document saying for as long as you're using your software at a bare minimum, we're going to utilize all these different security controls. We're going to have two-factor identification. We're going to have, you know, uh, we're going to have security uh, or, or uh, encryption at risk, encryption in transit, um, you know, all these different different controls. Um, now, the privacy policy, on the other hand, is, is not a contractual document. That is a disclosure by a company as to what their practices are, their mm -hmm. privacy practices are, how they collect information, how they use that information, how they might share it, how long they might retain onto it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's Isn't an that in the DPA also, though, sometimes? Or? Um, you know, sometimes it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. For instance, there are certain requirements, uh, like an EU law. Right. Um, you've got to be able to either return somebody's data uh, that, that you're processing for them right. or, or delete it or return it at the end of the contract. Right. Uh, so there's a specific requirement in right. privacy laws. But you may want to also address that in the, the privacy policy because yeah. there are other types of data that's outside the contract itself. Right. Right. So your ISA, your information security data, and your, and your DPA address the contractual responsibilities with that product. But the privacy policy is much, much, much more broad. Yeah. Right. It's not only the product, but it's also... How am I going to treat the data of people who come to our website? Right. Um, somebody shows up at a, at a trade show and I gather the data. Right. What am I going to do with that? And right. so it's a chance to get very granular about what you do with your, your customer's data. Right, right. And we can discuss privacy policies another time. But the way I try to explain it to clients is the DPA is a contractual document or an addendum to a contract that establishes contractual remedies and puts contractual duties on the service provider to do certain things. Whereas the privacy policy is a notice to the world in terms of how we're going to handle information generally from a variety of different sources and isn't unique to one specific customer. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the DPA process. When and how does a, a company decide it's time for a DPA. I mean, what, what, and, and then once their decision is made, we need a DPA. How are, how does, how does it get produced? Well, that's, that's a, that's a different question, whether you're talking about the commercial side with your customers, um, or you're talking about, uh, the vendor side when you're, you're looking at onboarding a vendor, mm -hmm. um, very, very different question. So when you're looking at onboarding a vendor, um, again, most SaaS vendors will have their own DPAs mm -hmm. because they've been tailored to your particular product. And, you know, if you're a large multinational company, you may have a vendor DPA that has a list of, of requirements that you'd like your vendors to follow. Right. Um, but a lot of times that does end up in a negotiation with the customer, with the, the vendor's paper because, you know, the vendor, again, has to tailor the product. Right. So that usually happens at the time of purchase. Right. 
But when you're looking at your own customers, you really should start thinking about a DPA um, at day one. And, and the reason being is that, you know, a DPA needs to be tailored. There are lots and lots and lots of different uh, requirements under different privacy laws along the entire world. And, you know, unless you're a mega, you know, Fortune 10 or Fortune 100 corporation with a very deep legal department and a deep data privacy department making the statement that I will comply with all data privacy laws worldwide, right. Right. Um, that's a great statement. Can right. you really do it? Probably not, no. yeah. you know, and, and unless, again, you've got some serious depth and, and have taken right. the time to, to look at that. So you've got to look at your product. You've got to look at the data you're actually processing your product. You've got to think about what am I going to do? What am I going to offer my customers? What's the story I'm going to tell here? Yeah. How am I going to let them know what I do and what I can and can't do contractually? Yes. And so if if the point you're thinking about uh, a DPA is when your customer is purchasing your product and says, oh, by the way, we need a DPA, it's too late. Because that's a long exercise to understand exactly what you do with data internally and what your controls are and what you can actually live up to. So it's best to start thinking about that before you even start selling the product. Yeah. And who are the key stakeholders involved in producing that first DPA for an emerging growth technology company? Who needs to be in the loop? Um, a couple of people. Uh, your product team, obviously, to let you know exactly what the product does mm -hmm. and, and how it processes information. Uh, you need to have and loop your marketing people because obviously you're going to be gathering um, uh, CRM information about your customers, mm -hmm. emails. You may want to market to them with that information that you're gathering from those customers using the product. Um, and you may and, and certain companies may want to restrict your ability to market to them. Mm -hmm. So, again, you have to include them. Um, your, your commercial team, your sales team uh, need to be involved in that conversation as to what limitations are they looking at in, in terms of what they can tell their customers, what, what we do and we don't do. Um, you need to involve um, probably your internal data use team. Uh, one of the things companies love to do is gather data about how people are using their product. It used to be called telemetry in the old yeah. days. Now yeah. kind of like usage data or service data these days. Um, but again, you know, some customers and, and some laws restrict what you can do with that data and how you want to be able to use that data, especially if you're in a, a B2B environment. Mm -hmm. Some very sophisticated businesses who want to purchase your software may want to limit what you can and can't do. Mm -hmm. So you need to talk to those teams and find out what they want to do. Right. So you can just close again, be very transparent about your processes are and make sure you're putting in um, contractual agreements that you can actually live up to. You're in the very fortunate position of doing privacy for a very well-established, large, well-capitalized, well-funded company with a very well-thought-through DPA. But what's your advice to technology law practitioners that are representing buyers that are considering cloud providers that don't have a DPA in place? Any thoughts on, on that scenario and what to do in it? Yeah. Um, the first thing it, it, it is we're talking about is purchasing, correct? Purchasing yeah, services. Right, exactly. Sure. So one of the first things you have to do is, is think about what data you're going to be putting into the service. Because frankly, the, the vendor doesn't know what data you're putting in the service. Only you know that. Right. And so you have to think, okay, am I going to have data that's considered personal data or personal information in any of these jurisdictions that might trigger these laws? Mm -hmm. So for instance, if, if me as a, a company, uh, if I'm going to be including uh, the, the personal data of those in the EU, then very likely I'm going to be subject to GDPR. Yeah. And so there's certain requirements I'm going to need uh, with regard to that particular vendor. Um, so again, step one, figure out what exactly what data you're going to be putting into it mm. and what laws you're going to be subject to. 
Um, if it's a, a larger data SaaS platform, I would be very surprised if they don't have a DPA. Mm. Most of them do, but some, no, some the larger guys definitely yeah. have it, but yeah. oftentimes I'm seeing clients go with either new vendors yeah. or medium tier vendors yeah. that for various reasons haven't spent the money to put yeah. these in play. And yeah. privacy by design wasn't built into how they got the product to market. Sure. In those scenarios, I guess I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts. If you're at a cocktail party sure. talking to a technology lawyer working for a buyer, which should, which should they Okay, so part of it is think yeah. about your data. Yeah, what else yeah. Should you broach a subject with a company and say, yeah. "Hey, look, I'm going to be sending you EU data. Um, because of that, I'm subject to the GDPR, and I'm required to flow down these terms to you right. under the GDPR. You're my sub processor, right? And I'm giving you this personal data. Yeah. And so I'm contractually required to put these terms in place. Yeah. So you set the set the stage first, um, and then say, "Look, we're going to have to have certain provisions." that address these legal requirements mm -hmm. uh, as part of the process. And if they don't have a DPA or they don't have inside counsel or outside counsel who's developed a DPA, then you should think about developing one or putting those DPA terms into the agreement with that particular vendor. Those would be the situations where a customer DPA probably does make sense. Yeah, it really does. It really does. So, um, you know, drafting a DPA can be a, a challenging experience. Mm -hmm. It's not incredibly difficult to um, to look at the GDPR, for instance. And, and again, I keep going back to the GDPR only because, uh, you know, it's it's kind of generally recognized as being a, a global gold standard. Mm. It's not the only privacy regime out there, but if you comply with the GDPR, chances are pretty, are pretty high that you're going to comply with most other global laws. Right. There are deltas. Right. You know, I'm not saying if you comply with GDPR, you're good globally. Yeah. There are deltas. Um, but you sure check a lot of boxes right. when you do. So, you know, looking at the different provisions of the GDPR, Article 28, Article 33, as to what you have to flow down, the requirements you have to flow down, are not tremendously difficult. Um, but making sure you have it in a way that's consistent with that product, consistent with the data you're giving to it, can be challenging. Yeah. Um, so step one is never be afraid to get help. Right. Um, it is definitely an area of specialization, yeah. you know, just like medicine, legal has gone to specialization areas sure. as well. And data privacy right. is definitely is one of those. So finding somebody who, who's been there, who's drafted one before, um, uh, discussing with one of your colleagues who's maybe been there yeah. and, and trying to get a copy maybe of, of a, a vendor TPA that someone else has drafted before to give you an idea of what you should be adding to this provision is right. a great first step. Yeah. Um, what you don't want to do is you don't just simply want to take somebody else's form copy and say this is good enough because yeah, right. that can get you in it trouble. It needs to be customized. Yeah. What happens in a situation, what's your, I'm not sure if you've dealt with this before, when the vendor says, oh, wait a minute, I'm willing to sign the standard contractual clauses and we self-certified for Privacy Shield. Mm -hmm. Why do we need a DPA on top of that? Great question. Um, standard contractual clauses were have been around for a, a long time. Um, they are a stalwart uh, in, in the privacy field, but they are not 100% um, aligned with the GDPR. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when the GDPR came out originally in 2016, implemented in 2018, um, there are gaps between the standard contractual clauses and, 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 uh, and GDPR. Mm -hmm. Just stuff that didn't exist. You know, when the 95 directive came out and ultimately standard contractual clauses were, you know, drafted later, um, GDPR just went further in some areas. Um, they're very consistent in a lot of areas, but 
but just uh, they have gaps. And so even with somebody who's privacy shield certified and, and somebody who is high in contractual clauses, there's still other areas that you need to contractually address, such as um, uh, responding to data subject access requests um, and, and the ability to provide assistance in that particular area. Again, not something that necessarily may be completely flushed out of the standard contractual clauses that you may need some some added uh, some added language. Yep. So the DPA is there to fill those gaps. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you, we talked about gaps a second ago between a DPA that is um, uh, GDPR PR compliant, but mm -hmm. not necessarily compliant with all the laws of the world. Do you think that if a DPA is GDPR compliant, that a company needs to do more to make it CCPA compliant? And CCPA for listeners is the California um, Consumer Privacy Act. Um, you know, um, um, disclaimer number one, nothing I say here right, you know, yes. is, is the, is the views or, or opinions yes. of my employer. These are strictly, right. you know, my views and, um, and my opinions only. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. But, uh, um, but yeah, I do. I do think that, um, the, the GDPR and the CCPA are, are both obviously consumer protective acts. They're interested in protecting the rights of people's data their personal data. Mm. Um, having said that, they the CCPA and the GDPR do approach it from two very different perspectives. Um, some things just don't line up beautifully. Um, yeah. The definition of, of what's personal information versus personal data uh, yes. is very different right. between the two of them. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the CCPR looks at CCP, the GDPR looks at things in terms of controllers and processors, the mm. controller being the person whose data it is, they control the data. Processor is the person who's processing data on the controller's behalf. Yes. Um, the the CCPA looks at things in terms of businesses, service providers, which is consistent, but also third parties. Right. Um, it also has different responsibilities in terms of the do not sell my data. Yeah. Um, versus uh, some of the data rights that you have in the GDPR are, are more extensive. Yeah. So it's just not a really it's not a great one-to-one -one alignment yes and so what a lot of companies have done have they've created separate provisions within their dpa or yes. a separate document to address the ccpa's requirements i think that makes sense and one of the things that i try to counsel clients that are doing business um in the tech space look at those exemptions under the ccpa because the ccpa actually has some fairly broad exemptions that don't exist under the gdpr that can get you out of that compliance regimen. So if you're small enough, um, if you don't have uh, a big presence with um, using California residents' data, you may actually not need to be CCPA compliant. That's exactly right. And and you need to be prepared. If, if you're going to take the position that um, you fall into one of those exemptions, you know, again, if you're the, if you're the vendor, if you're the business selling your software, right. Then you're going to need to make sure you have that talk track ready for when the, the the customers come and say, "Oh, oh, wait, we need to be compliant with CCPA. We we need these documents signed. Hey, sign our papers, sign our documents." You need to be able to tell that story as right. to why it doesn't apply to your company or your software or your business. Right, right. So uh, wrapping this up, the last question I'm going to get to is, what should be in a good DPA? What should buyers be looking for and what should sellers try to make sure they have in putting together their own DPA? Sure. Um, you know, if you're going to focus on the GDPR, like many customers do and, and many multinational companies, you know, corporations do, uh, Article 28 is a great checklist. Okay. 
you know, uh, Article 28 specifically addresses the responsibilities and the contractual responsibilities of a processor uh, of data. Matter of fact, it, you know, it starts out by saying that the uh, uh, the responsibilities between a process controller shall be in a contract and shall contain the variety of things. So that's a right. great beginning checklist of the things you need to have. Um, but there are other ones you need to look at as well, such as the requirements uh, around data breach notification, which mm -hmm. is Article 32. Um, you know, Article 28 uh, cross references other provisions, such as you're going to you're going to provide support you know, uh, reasonable support if they ask for assistance yeah. um, to a controller in, in certain areas. Um, and but but starting with Article 28 and then looking at the articles that apply to processors is, is a great way to have. Um, and again, I hate using checklists because it's really not a checklist mentality, mm -hmm. but a great way to have a framework to look at a DBA yes. and say, do I do I really have everything I need, at least for the GDPR? And yeah. knowing I've got everything for the GDPR, I know I'm probably in a pretty good position globally um, and then taking the next step and saying, okay, are there any other countries that I'm worried about? Yeah. Am I going to be processing data from Japan? Um, if so, then maybe I need to look at that act and see if there are any deltas that I need to be concerned about and put that in as well. But right. it's Article 28 of the GDPR is a great place to start because, again, if you, if you start there and you can check all the GDPR's boxes yeah. and, and have that language in there, that, that the things you actually do, yeah. um, then the odds are you're going to check most boxes in most countries. Again, can't always forget to to look for those deltas in other countries if you're going to have a significant presence there. Right, right. Any other resources for practitioners that are in this space or looking to get into this space have to deal with data processing addendums? Sure. Uh, the IEPP, as you mentioned, um, uh, if you're interested in data privacy, um, join. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an honest plug. I'm not on any of their boards. Yeah, yeah. I hold no positions. I'm just a member myself. Yeah. Um, but but they have a great resource bank. Um, wow. Great great source of data. You know, a lot of the um, a lot of the large law firms out there, and yes. I won't mention any. Uh, you know, I won't give any shameless plugs out there. Yeah. But uh, but there are quite a few of them who have put together great resource centers that have um, dial downs on individual countries. So if you're interested in knowing what the deltas are in a particular country, I'm going to be doing business, let's say in South Africa. Yes. What's you know the the uh, what are the differences there? Yeah. Um, a lot of those law firms have great sites. Yeah. Again, free, accessible from the internet. Right. Uh, great sources of information on that. That's the primary places I would start. And then I would reach out to your colleagues and see if anybody's ever been in this situation and, and you know, get to know people who do specialize in this area because, uh, you know, small mistakes can go a long way, like anything else in the practice of law. It's good to be yeah. diligent, careful, and, and make sure you know what you're doing. Don't yeah. guess. Don't guess. Cool. Great. <laughs> Todd, thank you very much. It was a great discussion. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'd like to have you back on the show, maybe talk about privacy policies or sure. CCPA compliance specifically. Sure, I'd enjoy that. It was great being here. Thanks, Jay. Thank you.